Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Our special guest for this bonus episode is Guy Pearson, CEO at Practice Ignition, where his team develops software that turns your proposal, terms of service, and payment collection into a single smart contract. Guy, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Oh, it's great to be here with you, with you both. And uh, Blake, it was great to meet you in person a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I followed you for years, and and Likewise. I think that was the first time, right? It was you were in you were in L.A. and we we met up for breakfast at some like divey cafe. It was perfect though. They had the hanging coffee, and we watched the World Cup. It was great. That was great. Well, you watched the World Cup. I don't know anything about soccer, so I just like I didn't. <laughs> this is a football. But it was great. It was it was good because you were entertained. Like you had something to distract you when I was being really boring. So it was very appropriate. <laughs> wow. What's that? So, um, Guy, I have a question for you. Um, you know, you, I know that you studied accounting, which is great because it's always nice when somebody's developing software for accountants who actually was an accountant. And, you know, I was, I was reading up on you and I found out you, you, you started really young. You were, you know, interning basically while you were in school, which is apparently a very common thing in Australia. Yeah, that's right. And you were offered a partnership at the ripe age of 24, but you turned it down. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> it does sound a little bit crazy when you read it all back like that. Um, but uh, there's a couple of things. So the firm that I was offered partnership uh, with was going into a listed group, which meant that you sort of would not be in control of your own destiny. The second thing is that it was what they call a full service firm here in Australia. So that means that there's loans, financial planning, leasing all under the one roof. Um, or a one-stop shop, which is a perfectly fine business model, but I was interested in businesses and business growth. And the third reason uh, was seeing all the cloud technology coming along and thinking about the next generation of entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, zero kind of just crept out of out of the uh, out of the ground, um, being in our next door neighbour, New Zealand. Um, so seeing that come along, as well as uh, you know, things like revolutionary tools like Skype. Um, you know, allowing digital meetings to take place sort of face-to-face. Um, and all this was sort of coming about. And so I basically decided to uh, to take the leap uh, and not take up the partnership. And instead, I went, I went traveling for a year and uh, spent all my money. <laughs> the, the anti-accountant thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, and which is a very common thing in your part of the world is to take a year off between, uh, well, Usually it's career break or post-study or before you start college or whatever it is, but at some point sort of go and see the world. I think that's great. I wish I wish more of Americans did that. I, I had the privilege of traveling for about six weeks after I, I finished my studies, and uh, that was world-changing. I can't imagine what it would be like spending a whole year. Well, I'm going to send all my kids to live with Guy for a year in Australia, <laughs> so I have a plan for this. <laughs> Sadly, I don't own a, man, a McMansion like you do down in Tucson, mate. So uh, they may be sleeping <laughs> on uh, couches and chairs. So sadly, uh, you just put them, you can put them to work. Put them to oh, work for sure. <laughs> Wait, oh, wow. So I, I think I saw a picture. So you, you ran out of money, right? You spent all your money, yep. and then you decided you're going to open an accounting firm. Is that the jump, or did you do something before? Uh, so, uh, so I was working in an accounting firm, went traveling, and just before I went traveling, I'd finished my CPA equivalent or my, my chartered accountancy here in Australia, and I'd started working at a brewery at night uh, called Four Pines, um, which has done very well, one of the first craft breweries here in, in Oz. And uh, basically, when I came back home, I started working there again to uh, keep the lights on at home whilst I 
and David on my uh, jeans and t-shirt wearing cloud accountant journey in the end of 20, you know, 2009. And then uh, you, then you decided you were going to start a practice and you just ran it out of your house. Yeah. I ran it out of my house uh, that I lived in. Uh, so in a suburb called Freshwater in Sydney. Uh, and yeah, like I said, we were trying to do everything cloud-based. We still had to buy a, uh, a server for the tax software here in Australia. Uh, that had to run on the terminal server, but pretty much everything else was laptop, second screen, and cloud-based. So you know, Google Apps, uh, I think Workflow Max back in the day. Um, back then it was also zero. And then basically all the tax and compliance was still done, submission via, let's call it, I don't want to call it dial-up, but it still made some interesting sounds during the lodgement um, the segment on there when you did the lodge button for a tax return. And that was, was that interactive accounting? Yeah, so that's interactive account. Um, so started the company and sort of had the brand before I left it to go overseas. And then uh, that was sort of waiting when I uh, came back to sort of get all the formal qualifications, certificate of public practice, all the things I needed to be able to be uh, a CPA trading uh, in your language or a chartered accountant trading in mine. I think when I saw you uh, give a talk uh, in Sydney, I was impressed at one hand, you know, obviously you, you kind of were cloud focused early on. You made that decision, cloud, I'll take clients on anywhere. I can be remote. I'm going to do Skype, like you said, et cetera. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is from day one, you set up this mission of to build your firm as a scalable business. Yeah. Right? Which a lot of people, like, they work at the firm for years. They realize, okay, everything's broken. Nothing's working. I got to figure out how to scale this, right? And they have to retrain themselves. But you, from day one, set out to build a scalable firm. Yeah. I mean, I think the slide that you saw me talking about was um, it's uh, chess, not checkers. Uh, which was a quote from Training Day. I'm not going to say the the full quote because it has some profanities in it. I don't want to have too many bloops on the uh, on the podcast. But basically, uh, I planned as if we were going to win. So if we were going to win, um, I would spend money up front and think about how the business model would work. So I wanted everything to be connected, and I didn't like manual manually doing anything. I'd much prefer to try and fix the problem uh, or plug the problem with some layer of tech. And this is, once again, going back to 2010, so a very long time ago. And we had connected apps out the wazoo using one SaaS APR, sort of all those sort of data connecting tools um, to try and make sure that the system would flow as much as possible. So um, if we were going to be an accounting firm for, you know, let's say 500 clients and we wanted to do that in a reasonable time frame or perhaps a quick time frame depending on how you look at it, you know, if you're only if you're operating for three years, that means onboarding three clients a week, right? Which, in accounting terms, is insane level of growth. Um, not for software, uh, but trying to get them all onboarded successfully, get them deployed, get them up to speed, deal with their past compliance. Like, how are we going to deal with all this? So we built onboarding forms, uh, welcome emails. You know, here's what it's like working at Interactive. This is what we're going to help you. We tried to automate um, back then proposals. We used uh, Socket App, which is based up in Canada. Um, we tried to uh, payments. We tried to automate that. We had it on our website. We had uh, an online direct debit engine that we hooked up using concatenate out of Google Sheets. If you know what that means to generate a URL, so it'd be a branded, predetermined, pre-filed uh, payment page. Like all these things, we built with let's call it uh, what do you call it? It's almost like um, yeah. In Australia, we say is one way to fix everything, and it's apply more duct tape. Basically, like everything can be fixed with more duct tape. So basically, we duct taped all these solutions together to make sure that we had a scalable onboarding. Yeah, I think that's a universal principle. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, you know, well, if you can't fix it with duct tape, you use more duct tape. And was it all just technology or did you just like with lots of rigor around documenting processes? Uh, we did that. So that way you could take yourself out of the 
out of the uh, decision. Yeah, so like getting the processes in place is one thing, but trying to make yourself obsolete is the second. Uh, if you want to be a, let's call it successful business owner rather than an operator um, who has all the key knowledge, you want to make sure that the, the, the team itself is scalable. So we had uh, Confluence back in the day, which is an Atlassian product. The firm has now since moved to Google Sites to be connected in with uh, the Google App Suite. Uh, but basically, it's you know the old school intranet basically, but an online version where you have visuals, you can have documents, videos, all those sorts of things. So we were working on that so that if I was to depart, which was the aim uh, from the day-to-day, that everyone else knew how to do everything. So you set up out from the beginning to build a firm that could scale and could live without you. How long did it take you to get to the point where you could leave and then start practice ignition? Uh, I was out of the company three and a half years after starting it. Um, and I would say I stopped filing anything to do with compliance about 18 months in. Um, I hired a CFO um, and a head of tax. And so they took over all the clients between them. And then we hired in underneath them. Uh, so basically how, how the scaling up uh, happened. And then probably I went to work on the business for a year after that. So that takes us up to two and a half years. And then I scaled back to part-time as practice ignition kicked off, which was yeah, in concept in 2012. And then uh, by July 2013, I was uh, I resigned uh, as an employee. And then Dave, if you remember the talk in Sydney, there was an inflection point <laughs> in the growth of the firm. A couple of things happened. One, we started getting referrals because we were now trusted. And the second thing that happened is that I was no longer there as a bottleneck in the process. So the rest of my team, my partners could sell and you know, sell our services, upsell clients. It wasn't just all resting on my shoulders being one person. And then are you still involved in the firm? Yeah, um, so I still own a, a fairly big chunk um, of the firm today. I'm still the chairman and, and director. Still hold a tax agent's license and all these other acronyms that are way too boring to run through. Um, but uh, yeah, still day to day, my job now is is team culture, forward looking strategy, and we're just about to sort of uh, refocus and, and rekindle where we're heading uh, in the next couple of months, which is pretty exciting. So, are you guys? Uh, well, your your firm, Interactive Accounting, are they? doing timesheets and billing out hours or is it fixed fee value-based type pricing like how do you how do you guys package your uh, services? so we've had our prices listed on our website which i know is a bit of a taboo subject from day one um <laughs> the reason being is it acted as a really good filter so we did rather a good job with marketing uh and position ourselves where we would get lots of let's call it inbound leads um so part of the video part of the reason for something like practice initial uh yeah coming out of being you know, what I did at the firm being a genesis for it, I was trying to streamline that whole process. And the pricing acted as another filter. Um, you can have someone who tells you they're going to yep. build the next Apple and you're like, that's fantastic. This is amazing. I'm so excited to work with you. You send a proposal for $2,000 for the year and they balk at it. Clearly, they don't really actually have that mindset of building the next Apple. Um, so, yep. nor are they anywhere on their, on their path to doing so. So, um, <laughs> so we, we use it as a filter <laughs> I, I don't mean to cut you off but I just want to thank you stop and thank you for putting your pricing on your website because I was able to uh, many years ago uh, look at your website and copy you <laughs> in building my own small firm so it did have that perk yeah, you're that welcome, benefit. Uh, it's you know it's very funny we, we found a few websites over the years that were almost copy, like not only cut and paste the pricing page we found a few that were still stole, borrowed the design 
uh, borrow oh, yeah. the, the wording on like, the About Us page and just put their firm's name in, like all, all kinds of fun things. But, you know, being copied <laughs> is, a, is a great form of flattery um, and, you know, you can lead a horse to water but you, know, you can't make a drink, right? So um, we got we were a bit cagey about things in the early days when it came to all that sort of thing and then as it went on, it's like, well, if they can do what we can do, there's only, you know, we can't have 10,000 clients tomorrow. Like our firm would break. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty for everybody. Um, uh, but, yeah, the price, so fixed fee and value-based pricing has always kind of been our mandate. Uh, we tend to find that whenever we get in time costs, we end up in a mess. Um, so we typically, if there was a time cost sort of scenario, we agree on a minimum uh, monthly spend for the period of the engagement. And then there's, yeah, set deliverables and then there's things that are outside it. They might be charged on, on time cost, but we're always trying to provide an estimate. So the one thing... Yeah, the firm didn't want to do was end up in a mess. Um, we had one particular partner over the years perhaps uh, did time cost stuff and it got us into a real doozy of a mess and ironically did not use practice ignition. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of case studies on people who don't use it and get into that sort of mess <laughs> and then when they start using it, it cleans up. You know, whip lockup is no longer a problem. They don't have data balances and don't have write-offs. It's just a whole bunch of mm-hmm. sites. But enough of a product plug. I probably should ask this before we got into talking about all this, but um, so that our listeners understand something about your firm, like what what is the size of it? How many customers do you have or clients? How many how many staff? Uh, so how there's many partners? two partners currently. Um, we have, including myself, so it's basically one managing partner and me as another owner. Um, we have uh, a leadership team underneath, so head of each sort of division, and then a general manager as well. Uh, so um, there's about twenty staff. Uh, based in Sydney and Melbourne in Australia, uh, and we look after about a thousand sort of core business clients, uh, mostly in the B2B SaaS, so companies like a practice ignition. Um, and uh, we look after global marketplace businesses and uh, venture capital firms, private equity funds. They're typically like our, our niche these days, uh, but historically, we look after businesses that want to grow really fast and need their account to be able to run with them and be flexible and go from everything from bookkeeping, management, accounting, tax, advisory, grants, uh, scale up until they do their first internal hire being a CFO or whatnot and then, you know, pair, pair back, you know, and just be their growth partner as they go along. Um, so it um it. works pretty well for us. The, the team is, is amazing, right? So we can talk about my success, but like, you know, I haven't been there for, <laughs> in the day-to-day for five years so um they've done an amazing job to to grow a firm and even with challenges that people and people management bring it's just a good solid group of people there and an amazing client base obviously now you have uh, price ignition and so does that actually like spun off like hey we wrote some code in the accounting firm and then you took that out and spun it off or is this kind of just like yeah it's an idea i'm gonna go chase it separately now that i'm kind of stepped back from the accounting firm like how, how did you go from hey i have an accounting firm now i got so a cool. company couple of things that played into it. So number one, uh, I became an accountant because I wanted to help small businesses get better access to info faster and make better decisions. Uh, the, that basically resulted in me becoming an accountant. Um, worked at firms, learned the ropes, dealt with all entities, big, small, profit, not-for-profit, charities, large family groups, all that sort of stuff. So I built sort of my cred and then on how to run a firm as well before I left the last firm I was at. Um, and then coming into interactive accounting was very much like – yeah, my firm is never going to be, or it's not going to be Deloitte or PwC or any of those. It's going to look after a set group of clients um, that will grow to a certain size. But there's this whole other part of the market out there being the second part, given my original goal of helping as many businesses as possible. Um, 
And so from my mind, what you see in practice initially right now is still kind of generation one. So it's designed to be the source of truth for how you run your firm. Uh, so you understand who your clients are, what they pay you for, and you know, dig into the data. And, yeah, that's one side. The second side is to help you run a more efficient firm with the hope that you spend more time with your clients and, and help them out more. Um, the second part of it was uh, me looking for the most efficient way to run an accounting firm because running my accounting firm doing monthly direct debits and the systems we had here, even though they were quite good, there was still a huge manual uh, process. So, you know, doing 500 monthly direct debits or, or credit cards or ACHs, depending on your country, um, is an absolute disaster when all you get was a PDF uh, at the end of the month saying who failed, who's you know, invalid, you know, routing numbers, whatever it was, and then having to go back through and manually chase them, manually reconcile your accounts. Like it was just a disaster. Um, and we were moving from one bill for a year to 12. So imagine dealing with failed payments times 12. It just absolute disaster. Um, and nothing was tried to, tied to the contract. So that was kind of the problem I wanted to fix for the firm. Uh, my ultimate goal of turning PI into this engine that allows you to run a better firm and spend more time with clients is sort of built phase one. So source of truth, uh, what comes next is, is kind of interesting and, and probably shouldn't make any product promises. But effectively, if you look at any other system that has... We don't get anything? We don't get anything? Well, if you look at any other system that has a source of truth, so let's say Intercom is a very good example. There's a source of truth for software companies. What do they do with that information? They use it to communicate better with their customers or clients. And so that's uh, just a little teaser. Um, so that's, that's ultimately uh, where we want to go because I really want to work and have the tool to be able to help uh, provide a better relationship so that accountants have more trust for their clients Clients ask their accountants more things, which leads to more work in the forward-looking aspect, so advisory and data tearing apart um, and building it back up into a model and making decisions. That's that's what I'm interested in, in trying to help achieve. But to do that, you know, your client needs to love their CPA, which is, yeah, if you went out on the street right now, both either in Tucson or LA, and you ask someone whether or not they love their CPA, the first person you saw, they probably either, A, don't remember who did their taxes last year, or B, they hate seeing them unless they're getting a tax refund. So I want to change that. A noble and worthy pursuit. <laughs> yeah, so look, uh, PI came about off the back of, you know, kind of continuation of, of original goal um, and then selfishly uh, trying to help an accounting firm run as efficiently as possible. Efficiency is really important. One of the issues facing CPAs in America or facing accounting firm owners in America is it's getting harder and harder to find talent, to keep CPAs on staff, to recruit them, to retain them. As the economy has improved, and you know, we just hit 4% growth here uh, in, this, in the second quarter, it's debatable whether or not that'll keep going, but it's, it's been picking up. And, and all the evidence, uh, all the projections show that there's going to be a shortage of highly skilled labor in the, in the future which will definitely affect accounting. So my question to you guys is, you know, how do accountants in the US and in Australia, everywhere around the world, how do we deal with this talent crisis? And there's one stat in particular that just really stuck out to me, which is why I'm asking you this question, which is uh, a report from Corn Ferry predicting that by 2030 in Australia, firms are going to be paying an extra $28,600 per head for highly skilled labor. So that's twelve year in twelve years. It's that's the wage premium over inflation. 
how are you guys going to survive? Well, I think it's already starting to happen. I'm not. I'm not sure that. So there's two. There's two ways to fix that problem. Number one is to put it offshore into a cheaper cost base, which I'm kind of against uh, for a permanent solution. So I don't mind if 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 people do it part. You know, they can't find anyone here and they need two people like yesterday to to deal with clients and need need work done. Um, but when it's a permanent one, it's a it's a bad idea because you're not actually fixing uh, the problem of you know delivery. Um, so you've already seen the advances in the software. Let's just say that, you know, think about all the things you've seen in the last five years and then compare that to the last 18 months. Like it's accelerating like crazy. So although the wage premium on, on let's call it, uh, really valuable skilled labor may go up, uh, I don't think you'll see as many people working at accounting firms, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, I think what will happen is uh, anything around processing, doesn't matter what it is, will cease to exist. It'll be very, very small, and everything else will be driven by systems. So premium may go up, fees will probably stay around about the same, uh, but you shouldn't have as many costs in terms of labor um, or resources in terms of labor on your team. And that would be my my bold guess with all the AI advancements on data collection, uh, you know, analyzing data, uh, projections, all those things. Like everything we've got right now makes a firm incredibly efficient. You can run an insanely profitable firm using technology today. Um, I don't see that changing as technology gets better. How how much more profitable would you say? Uh, So I remember the last, anecdotally, firms that I know quite well um, used to be excited about a 20% profit margin. And I know for a fact that most of the, for a fact, anecdotally, a lot of the really good cloud firms run at 40%. So if we were to continue that stat, I would say it would go up to 50%. Now, the hard part is changing to all the systems obviously costs money and time. And so the one thing accountants are bad at is uh, thinking about the long term, that whole chess line I gave before, and, uh, and, you know, copying it up front, if you like, like wearing it on the chin would be an Australian expression. But you would think that accountants of all people would be able to do run the numbers and figure out, oh, this is a worthwhile investment of my time. Uh, I'm not sure what the saying is in the US. In Australia, it's a builder's house is never finished. There's always a renovation in progress. Um, and to quote a few banks here recently, and I think it's the same overseas, spitting with Citibank, is that uh, the hardest person to get a forecast on their business from is an accountant because there's always client work that you know, go, comes in before their own business and, and they don't spend as much time on their own business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson. I mean, you've, you've, you've talked about, you know, and through over and over again, that's a theme here is like, you have to figure out how to stop being in your business and start running your business. Right. Because the only way you're going to make your business have 40% profitability is you have to stop doing the work so you can figure out how to Make it profitable. So, you know, to quote a very sort of crass uh, godfather of mine, basically you make money off the backs of others. Now, that sounds, you know, brutal. Um, but ultimately, if you have a team and you're achieving things together, uh, you know, one, you know, two heads is greater than one, ten is greater than two. You know, if everyone's running in the same direction together and it's not all relying on you, you can make a lot more money. I mean, that's, that's how business always works. Um, you need to do have the right people and do it efficiently, but... Yeah, that's the way it goes. And I'm going to circle back to one of your questions before, David. So you asked about um, me and building the tech company, having been an accountant. And when my CFO and the head of tax came on board, so Gareth and Lisa, um, it was known to them on day one that I was going to go and try to build a software company. 
And so the whole notion of me taking myself out of the business to help it run better for a year and then slowly stepping out over the following year was all kind of planned, not written down in, in concrete, but that was known. Um, and so I actually kicked off three projects before practice ignition. So one was instead of doing an MBA, one was a systems, what we call it now, systems integrated business that ended up going, going into my accounting firm and then was uh, shut down once we pivoted towards uh, B2B SaaS companies who didn't need our help with systems. And uh, then uh, the last one was, uh, I mean, it's kind of almost what HubDoc did, does, uh, the irony, uh, but it basically was designed to go get bank, upload your bank statement and take out all the data and, and spew it out into a CSV or OFX or you know, whatever, whatever format you needed to upload into your accounting ledger because once you turn bank feeds on, you had the data from today onwards. But going back to your banks, a lot of them would only give you maybe an Excel download for three months. And if you were typically doing this like nine months after the financial year end or a year later, you had that missing gap that you don't want to manually code into your ledger system. So we used to basically focus on that. But we uh, had disagreement with one of the other founders and we shut the company down after sort of getting to market. So, and then there was practice initially. So I had a very busy, uh, let's call it 25 to 29, roughly, in age, um, sort of doing all those things. Uh, but when we made the jump, uh, practice initially felt like the right like the right one to back. Definitely the biggest one uh, in terms of opportunity, but also the biggest problem to solve and the biggest benefit, I think, for accounting in the ecosystem and, and small businesses. You turned me onto a book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. When did you discover that? Like, you know, before you started any of these businesses, like three years in? No, it's two, three years ago. Um, uh, I have a really close mate who runs a software startup here in Australia, but he was uh, head of Agile for Atlassian and head of Agile at Twitter. Um, so based in San Fran for a while. And uh, his name is Ben Horowitz who wrote the book and he's one of the partners of um, uh, Mark, Mark Andreessen and him have a venture capital firm together called A. It's short. Their web URLs. No, 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 no. Oh, so Sorry. he's just your My friend. My mate who works at and Twitter pointed me on oh, to oh, 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 pointed okay. me on to the book. And <laughs> oh, it was somebody else. Okay, okay, at okay. the time, like okay, now I'm everyone the whole startup thing has been a very rosy experience. I can tell you, there have been times I've been sitting on the ground crying to my mum and my brother, and I'm not a big crier about how the hell am I going to make all this work and keep everything together whilst we figure out the growth angles and you know, everything else. Um, and so. You know, it was during sort of one of those times I was chatting with my best mate um, slash one of my mentors, Nick, and uh, he uh, pinged me over the link to the book. He was like, I think you should read this. And uh, I read it shortly thereafter and just found an amazing amount of solace in almost like the reality that no matter what you read on you know, uh, Medium or, or any of the other posts or LinkedIn about the success of a company, how great it is that – there are ups and downs for everyone's journey, and so he ended up with a, a you know listed company, then was acquired off the uh, off the Nasdaq, uh, but that was after sort of like thirteen years of toil and turmoil, um, uh, you know ups and downs, firing half the team in an afternoon you know, of a multi hundred person company, like you know all this stuff that kind of resonated, and obviously on a much larger scale than what I was dealing with, but uh, it just kind of really hit home, and I think. Yeah, with the the session that I saw you at, Dave, in Sydney was all about you know, start, grow, merge, sell the, the sort of life cycle stages of building and growing an accounting firm. But with reference to the hard thing about hard things, because we you know you were there, we talked about 
war stories, all the things that you can stuff up along the way, you know, to own failure, you know, and celebrate the wins basically. And, and so it's, um, for me, it was just a kind of like a, the anti-business book. So I, I've, I've given, I like to swing from the fences a little bit and sort of typically run in a different direction to everyone else. It really hit home for me. Yeah. I think it's also, it almost feels like it, it is a book. It, it's like a manual like to, Oh, how do I make this decision about firing this person? Right. Or how do I make a decision about this? I have to lay off some people like all those tough decisions. It's almost like a manual on like the thought process on how you should attack that. Um, so it, it, it listens like a great storybook. Yeah. It's, it's actually amazing, but, but it's really like a manual. I, I found it really amazing. The, the other thing I thought was interesting was um, it's it's geared obviously towards an entrepreneur or founder. Yep. But I after listening to it, I was like, God, if I would have listened to this early in my career, I would have been a different kind of an employee. I'm probably too stuck in my ways now. But like I would have actually like, – it's just it, – it's it's really interesting um, to, to take it in that way. I, I think anybody listening, you should definitely – it's worth getting. It's great. And, and if you get the uh, audio book, you, you hear him rapping, which is even better. Well, we're coming up toward the end of our show. And Guy, I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, describe, you know, give us the elevator pitch for Practice Ignition. If you've got the energy after sitting in a bunch of meetings today <laughs> uh, and probably doing that for five years now, right? But uh, tell you know, for our listeners who have no idea what it is, right? I mean, I've, I've been using Practice Ignition for years now. I love it. Um, couldn't live without it. Uh, what is it and how can people find you online? Perfect. Uh, so you can go to practiceignition.com or at Ignition app if you're on Twitter. Uh, follow us and sort of stay up to date with what's happening. And you know, the basic bio of the company uh, is designed to help you run the smartest professional services firm. Uh, we target CPAs and bookkeeping uh, firms or pro advisors. Um, and the idea is that it lets you run uh, your services company much like it's a software company. So, you know, you can drag and drop your list of services, customize them, and send out uh, online smart proposals to your clients. They can put in their ACH or credit card details, digitally sign without having to pay for an additional signing tool. And that can then integrate into whatever workflow tool that you're using, whatever invoicing tool that you're using, so QBO or Xero, and we go and collect the funds from your clients, reconcile your accounts receivable, and give you some amazing data that you typically don't get anywhere else. So what is your projected revenue for the year? conversion rates, what services drive your revenue, and really help you dive into running a better firm and actually understanding the services that you provide for your clients so that you can offer them a better experience and hopefully reduce your admin time so that you can actually you know, focus on helping them solve their business problems and giving them a better life as well. And David, uh, if folks want to talk to us, tell us what we should talk about on the podcast, send us a story, where can they reach you? Best way to reach me is on Twitter. I'm at David Leary. And how should they reach you, Blake? I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Guy, thanks so much for your time today. It was great chatting with you. David, I will see you uh, tomorrow. We're going to do another episode. So we'll, we'll catch up on the latest news. All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Guy. Cheers. little story I wanted to share is about uh, some interesting startup ideas that get thrown across my desk from time to time. Um, so on the side, I'm an angel investor. I was one of HubDoc shareholders, so I'm very happy with the sale as a side note. But um, the best startup idea I've seen is all about the sharing economy and making a greater utilization of, of something that we need and use every day. And the company was called BinShare, the idea being that you share and, and rent slash sell the spare space in your bin before the garbage collection comes. Oh, you mean like your trash can? Yeah. 
And I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> this company was going to revamp and revitalize waste collection. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering what neighbor would rent space on a regular basis off their other neighbor, right? <laughs> Wait, because, uh, I mean, I don't know what it's like where you are, but here, if, if I need more trash cans, I can just order them from waste management. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much the same here, but it, I, I guess it's for that, that flex capacity. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You're only going to go over for one week. <laughs> Heaven forbid that that bin was a kilometer or a mile away and you had to t- drive it over. But, um, you know, I, it was just... I mean, you invested right away, right? Oh, 100%. It, it, it literally made its way. It was just before we had our uh, internal <laughs> practice admission conference uh, in Sydney a couple of years ago when the whole team pitched like, these new product ideas. And every instance of, you know, the demo screenshots for what the company or the client was inside practice initium was bin share, you know, something <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, and a name of a client had some reference to waste in it. Like it just, it, it went through the whole company like wildfire. It was absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. Needless to say, I dumped every single cent I had in there and uh, haven't seen it since. I think it's sitting in someone else's trash can, but um you know, it, it just kind of made my day. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out even the commercial applications. Maybe it was a business problem that they were solving for businesses. But seriously, it's, there's some weird and wonderful wacky things. The thing that I love the most is that someone had the balls to put together a pitch deck and go in all, all in to present this as the, one of the biggest companies of the future. It's amazing. Thank you for that. <laughs>